I speak to you in the name of the living God, blessed Trinity, and lover of your souls. Amen. In 2019, anthropologists at the University of Oxford published their findings on seven universal moral codes. Their research found that the following cooperative behaviors are considered morally good across continents and in no societies were they considered morally bad. This is to provide for your relatives to build friendships that achieve mutual goals, to give to others who give to you, to require equity and fairness, to respect others' property, and the last two, to express cooperative dominance and submission after a contest is won. It is this last moral code that I am most interested in today. <laughs> that across continents and cultures, dominance and submission are praised. They are praised as moral values in sport. An example of what this means, right, is that when the Olympic gold medalist outmaneuvers the silver medalist in sport, we applaud the gold medalist who stands on the platform a foot taller than everybody else with their hands over their head in victory. This is a morally approved display of dominance. And when the silver medalist bows in deference to the gold medalist, we praise the silver medalist. We praise them for being a good sport. This is a morally approved display of submission. The study showed that in contest, the heroic virtues of bravery and fortitude and skill and wit cooperate. They cooperate with the monkish virtues of humility and deference and obedience and respect. This is how dominance and submission are supposed to work in coordination and cooperation within the bounds of contest. But how often do we relegate dominance and submission only to sport? And what happens when we take dominance and submission out of sport and desire it elsewhere, such as in our churches or in our homes? I think you know what happens. We see it in the news every week, don't we? Evidence in the headlines of racism and classism and sexism and heterosexism. We see young women in black and brown bodies shot with clear, without clear cause. For example, when approaching a self-made Lord. Our world is filled with self-made Lords who have turned all of life into a contest to be won, into a place where they expect their own dominance and others' submission. This is old news. Very old news, in fact. In the second century, not long after today's epistle was written, Rabbi Meir made the following prayer popular for observant male Jews to pray each day. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, ruler of the universe, who has not made me a woman, 
who has not made me a Gentile, who has not made me a slave. A daily prayer, praising God for being made the dominant one. But hundreds of years, even before that prayer, Greco-Roman philosophers were already shaping civilization under what scholars call the household codes. Of household management, we have seen that there are three parts, writes Aristotle. The rule of master over slave, a husband over wife, and a father over children. Household management, built on dominance and submission, was propagated from the Greco-Roman Empire, from the cradle of civilization, and built our world on the distorted moral value that one person should always be on top. The household codes not only made it into our homes, but into our scriptures. There are plenty of concerning stories in our Bible that rose out of a warped need for dominance, murder, war, human sacrifice. These are some of the obvious distortions. But the household codes are also a distortion, an insidious, an insidious one that's not recognized as such by all the authors of Scripture. But there is at least one biblical author who saw that human lordship over other human beings is not the way of Jesus. That author is the Apostle Paul. Now, some of you might be thinking, uh, isn't Paul the one who wrote, slaves obey your earthly masters and everything? And wives submit to your husbands? There's an oft-quoted story from black theologian Howard Thurman, whose enslaved grandmother, Nancy Ambrose, told him she vowed never to read the letters of Paul if she ever found her way to freedom, because the white minister always quoted from Paul to keep the slaves in line. But what Grandma Nancy didn't know is what biblical scholarship has revealed in the last century, namely that the real apostle Paul probably didn't write those words about slaves obeying masters or wives obeying husbands. Almost half the letters with Paul's name on them in our scriptures seem to have been written after his death by others who tried to capture the spirit of Paul's teachings. But so many of the epistle writers that did this failed in one very human way. They assumed the household codes were a moral good. They assumed that Jesus would want them to pray Rabbi Mayer's prayer and follow Aristotle's tips for home management. And they did not recognize that Paul and Jesus were not abiding by these codes. They were trying to abolish them. Jesus preferred humility to hierarchy. Jesus told the rich that they will be last and the poor will be first. And whoever wants to become great needs to be a servant. Jesus said to the elders, they had to be like children. And Jesus made sure no man stoned a woman simply for being a woman. Paul, that Pharisee who knew Jewish law so well, saw what Jesus was doing. 
But after his death, Paul's followers lost this radical reversal of the household codes that Jesus inspired. And Christians fell back into the old cultural maps of their rabbis and philosophers. And the gospel began to be preached to all nations, to the ends of the earth, with the household codes hitching a ride with the good news. But today, today in 1 Corinthians, in our epistle, we get the real Paul. Or as our own biblical scholar here, Bob Fowler, likes to call him, the authentic, radical Paul. This is the Paul who fell in love with Jesus on the road to Damascus, where he was called to absorb Hellenistic culture and philosophy with the same zeal he had already absorbed the law of Moses. And Paul became that great apostle to the Gentiles. He knew from both Jewish and Roman perspectives how dangerous these household codes could be, which is why he wrote to the church in Corinth, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And if this verse sounds familiar, it may be because Paul writes it again with new emphasis in his letter to the Galatians. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Paul's words are a radical reversal of the household codes that organized everyone's daily life into a hierarchy of dominance and submission. Paul's writings subvert this need for a self-made Lord by giving the people who want a patriarch a new Lord to submit to. And so he writes in today's epistle, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And Jesus is called Lord in our New Testament more than 700 times because that's how often we need him to be Lord. Anyone who has experienced the twisted moral values of dominance and submission through patriarchy and slavery and domestic violence knows that we need a new Lord of the house. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, Paul confirms. For it is the Holy Spirit who teaches human hearts that the common good is served in our homes and in our societies when we live together in humility rather than hierarchy. But if you must have a master of the house, says Paul, then it must be Jesus. For as Paul wrote in his letter to the Philippians, though Jesus existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. So he took the form of a slave. And for this reason, God exalted Jesus Christ as Lord. And as far back as archaeologists and scholars and etymologists can determine, the word Lord was first attributed to God. Paul seems to think that's where the term is meant to remain. True lordship is about service and humility and Jesus' humanity's supreme example of what the household of God is meant to look like. And this is why we as a church still proclaim today, Jesus is Lord. 
human lordship. It grew out of the values of dominance and submission removed from sport and brought into society. But when lordship comes to us from God, through Jesus, it is a model of humility and love, the humility and love that is meant to rule in God's house. Thousands of years ago, Paul seems to have already known some of the truths that Oxford study would publish in 2019. Dominance and submission are valued in the sports stadium, but become twisted when we take them elsewhere, when we make human beings lords over one another in daily life. We can only have one Lord. He is our model of humility, Jesus. For in the Christian household, all are welcome, all are cared for by one another in mutual love and affection. May it be so in our homes today. For it is on a day like today, this day of Pentecost, where we as a church remember Scripture's promise that the Spirit's flame will one day rest on every head and honor every tongue before the lordship of Jesus for our common good and the building up of the eternal household of God.